Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. And what the anointing is. And talking about the anointing as the presence of God. God's anointing in the presence of God. And in uh, Sunday, we talked a little bit about the anointed church. And, um, and, and we talked a little bit about uh, the church that was asleep. And in Psalms of Solomon, chapter 5, we had a picture of the bride, uh, which is a picture Solomon's bride who was sleeping when he came um, and came to, to visit. And she had taken off her robe and she had prepared herself uh, and, and he wanted entrance into the bedchamber of his bride, but she was, she was sleeping. And, uh, and, and, and it's a picture of Christ wanting to enter into his church. And, of course, his bride having uh, not prepared for the presence of God. But I want to talk a little bit about the anointing. And tonight I want to talk a little bit about... Um, the anointed church is a church that loves, and I want to show you the power of love. We hear a lot of that in our culture, uh, that we're to love everybody, and uh, uh, we hear phrases like, love wins. Y'all, we, we know we hear that, but, it, but let me tell you a little something about love. Love has boundaries. The scripture teaches that love has boundaries, and uh, love is absolutely, uh, the scripture tells us. Uh, that godly love has boundaries. But if we're going to be a church that makes a difference in 2020 and going forward, we must understand that one of the foundations of a church that is anointing is a church that knows how to love. And love sometimes uh, is not only to be able to encourage, but also love sometimes corrects, right? Right? You correct your children because you love them. And sometimes the scripture is used to correct our lives because God chastises those whom he loves. And so love is a discipline in scripture. And it disciplines us to uh, position us for right relationship with God. But here in 1 John chapter uh, 3, I want to read a few passages of scripture and then we'll get right in. I want you to stay with me tonight because... I'm going to start out a little slow, but I have a big bang at the end, all right? So hang with me, all right? So uh, don't fall asleep on me if you, if you can, and uh, of course, maybe no chance of that, I don't know. Beginning in verse 16 of 1 John chapter 3, the Bible said, but this we know, this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and see his brother in need and shuts, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in the world, in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How many know that's a great advice from the word of God? Let us not just love in word and deed uh, or in word only and in tongue, but to love indeed. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. It's a great passage of scripture. You know, uh, I heard a story years ago 
uh, I heard a story of a great man of God, a guy, a man that was very popular in the 80s and 90s when I first got saved. I read a lot of his books, uh, heard him speak one time, but he was a great, he was a great preacher. Matter of fact, he was a preacher, he was a sociologist, an educator, uh, maybe you've heard of him. Um, and he worked in the inner city of Philadelphia. His name was Tony Campalo. I don't know if you're familiar with him, um, but uh, Tony tells a story uh, that is a very powerful story. He was on his way to Maui, Hawaii, uh, to speak at a conference there uh, uh, many years ago, or a few years ago. And uh, as he got there and arrived and got to his hotel, of course, there being a six-hour difference um, in time change, his body had not adjusted right. So at 3.30 in the morning, he woke up and uh, couldn't go back to sleep, so he decided he was going to go get him some breakfast. So he left out of the hotel, went a couple blocks from the hotel, and he went to a local diner there, uh, uh, not too far from the hotel there in Maui. He went up, he sat down to the counter, and while he was sitting at the counter there uh, to order his breakfast, all of a sudden, um, while he was uh, ordering his breakfast, uh, something happened that literally, actually, literally changed his life. While he was sitting there through the door came eight prostitutes uh, from the city of Maui. They all came down and they all sat around him and circled him. And uh, sitting there, he was sitting in between of them. Of course, you could imagine the great picture that was. Good thing social media wasn't around at that time. Uh, he might have been in, in a lot of trouble. Um, but as he sat there, he began, as eating his breakfast, he began listening uh, to these gals speak. One of the gals that were with him uh, began to say that she said, she began to say, she said, well, tomorrow is my birthday. And uh, the rest of the ladies that were there was just like, well, you know, what are you telling us for? You know, uh, what's the big deal? And uh, she goes, well, I'm just saying. And, uh, and she went on to say that my home life was so bad and it was so messed up that I never had a birthday party growing up my whole life. And so Tony Campalo, as he sat there, uh, as he sat there, ate his breakfast. Later, the ladies left. And he said to the owner of the diner, he said, you know what? He said, I'd like to give that gal a birthday party. And uh, the owner said, well, they come in every night. They come in around 3 a.m. every night, 3.30 a.m. every night. He said, well, I'd like to get her, give her a birthday party. So he, uh, the next evening, the owner said he would, he would get a cake. And the next evening at 2.30 in the morning, and uh, he went and he uh, got all these decorations. The name of the gal, her name was Agnes. And so he got all these decorations. He decorated the whole diner. He had a birthday cake there for her. And word must have gotten uh, right around 3 o'clock. All of a sudden, all of these people started piling in. And probably 20 to 30 prostitutes from all over Maui and people all over started coming into this diner and, and, uh, uh, for this birthday party. And so right about the time, uh, in come Agnes, and she was surprised at what she saw. She walked in, and, and everyone surprised her, saying happy birthday to her. Uh, she was so surprised that she couldn't believe that they would have a birthday party for her. Now, as I thought of that story and began to think about that story, remember that, uh, having heard that before, I thought to myself of what Mother Teresa said. She said this, 
If you spend all your time judging people, you'll never have time to love people. How many know that's true? That if we spend all of our time judging where people are in life, then we never have time to love people. And so she was amazed by what she saw. And so as the party began, she asked, she said, hey, can I take uh, this cake? I want to run it down the street to my apartment for a minute, and I promise I will bring it back and we can continue the party. And so she had uh, uh, picked up the cake and, and had taken it. And uh, while she was gone, it was kind of awkward. So Tony Campalo said, well, let's do this. Let's just pray. <laughs> and so right there in that diner, all of those uh, prostitutes bowed their head. And he just began to pray. And he prayed this prayer, Lord, bless all those that are here. We pray that you bless Agnes. We pray that you bless her friends. We pray that you bless all of those that are that are uh, here tonight, and he just prayed this generous prayer uh, that was on his heart, and, uh, and then he finished the prayer. After he finished the prayer, all of a sudden, the owner of the, of the diner uh, turned to him, uh, almost in a little bit of hostility, said, you didn't tell me you was a preacher. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, yeah. He said, I'm, I'm a preacher. But uh, this is what he wrote in his book in response and telling this story. This is how he responded to the diner owner. It goes like this. It said, when, when I finished, Harry, the owner of the diner, with a, a trace of hostility in his voice, he said to me, have you never, uh, you, you, you did not tell me that you were a preacher. What kind of preacher are you anyway? What kind of church do you belong to? And he said, in one of those moments, as Harry had spoken those words, it was just the right moment that God gave him just the right words. He said, I answered very quietly, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. And Harry thought for a moment, and he looked at him, and he said this with a snare as he answered. He said, no, you don't. There is no church like that, because if there was... I would join it. And that's a, that's a, I tell that story to you tonight because I believe this. The question is, what kind of church do you want? What kind of church do you want to go to? What kind of church do you want to be? Do you want to be a church that's willing to love people where they are, where they are for a moment, willing to love people even in the mess or where they are in life at that moment, love them where they are, help them pull them out of where they are? Or do we want to be a church that kind of the message has been where people have looked at church as a place that is boring, a place that is uh, uh, no life in it, and where uh, people are judgmental and people live in a judgmental life? Or do you want a church that has the ability to reach out the people uh, that society has thrown away and look at them and say, God can pull you out of where you are. There is hope for you. Yeah. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. And, so, and so when we talk about this, and it's the kind of church that Jesus died for. Jesus died for a church. And I want you to know Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves us all. And so, I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of church um, that is able to help build a children's home in Kenya. That's helped uh, to do dignity projects in Sri Lanka. 
I want to be a part of a church that feed people on Thanksgiving when, when, when they don't have nowhere else to go. I want to be a church that helps addicts and will take addicts and help them get clean and connect them to the right people so that they can get clean in their life. I want to be the kind of church that where we can have prison ministry, minister to those that are in prison with the gospel. I want to be the kind of church that throws parties for people who don't deserve to have parties, but yet we throw it for them anyway because God loves them exactly where they are. And I believe that in the last days that a church that's going to have an effect, I believe is going to be a church that has the ability to love people. And, 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 and those who love others, there will be an anointing on those churches. You know, there's always a party that is always on high alert. Uh, and it can start at any time. Heaven and its angels are always waiting and anticipating, especially uh, on Sunday mornings and Thursday nights for somebody to give their life to Christ so that all the angels of heaven and all the church can begin to rejoice that people find Christ and know him as their Savior. The church is always on, should always be a place where we're ready to celebrate that which was lost and what has been found. You know, in the Bible, in the book of Luke chapter 15, God gives us a whole chapter uh, in Luke 15 about things that uh, are lost and found. And once they're found, there's a party that is given. There are three stories that are given in Luke 15. And uh, what we have to understand or what we see in those stories is that uh, when that which is lost is found, there's always rejoicing and a party given for that which is restored or what is gained. You know, we have the story of the woman who lost the coin. And when she finds it, there's a party. There's the shepherd that lost the sheep and he left the 99 to go get the one. And when he came back, they were rejoicing. There's the story of the father who lost his son. And when he came to his senses, he came back home and the father rejoiced that the prodigal son had came back home and rejoiced. In other words, Jesus was showing us this. He was showing us something about humanity. And when we begin to look at that, if you're looking at that in Luke chapter 15, there's a passage in that verse, in that chapter, where Jesus sums up the whole meaning of what he tries to tell us in Luke chapter 15. It's found in verse 7. He said, I say to you, or uh, it, in some translations it says, in the same way, in other words, he says this, I say to you that likewise, there, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. What is he telling us? It tells us that Jesus throws a party. He loves to throw parties for those who rejoice and come to Christ. He loves he loves it in heaven when those who are lost come home to God. And so a church that loves has the ability to love people into the kingdom of God. Sunday should be the most anticipated day in the Christian's life. And it shouldn't be the excitement, I can't wait to get the church to hear the preacher or to hear the worship leader I can't wait to get the church to see what God is going to do next in somebody's life. 
I can't wait to get to the house of God to see God change somebody that need changing. Somebody that need the gospel to change their life. And when that happens, there is rejoicing that happens in the house of the Lord. There is a joy that breaks out in a church. There is a life that breaks out into a church. There is, there is vitality that breaks out in a church. That a church that loves to win people to Christ and love people into the kingdom of God. And churches that love are churches that are anointed. Churches that love to see the kingdom grow. So, and we all know we all need a Savior. How many of y'all know we all need a Savior? And when God deals with us before salvation, you know, before I became a Christian and before I gave my life to Christ, when God dealt with me, he didn't deal with me just to come to church to get fixed or to just come get cleaned up. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he wasn't dealing with, with me about coming to improve myself. He didn't come just so that I could, could help myself or that others could be helped. Listen, that's all a byproduct of being in church. How many are thankful that you can find help in church? How many know you can become better in church? But that's not what the conviction of the Holy Spirit does in our life. And what Jesus does in our life, he convicts us to come to know him. He doesn't send us to church so that we can become better people We come to church so that we may be born again, so that we may know Christ as our Savior. I love how Andy Stanley puts it, and he made this statement in his book, A Mile Wide and an Inch Deep. He made this phrase. He said this. He said, we are not mistakes in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and we need more than just a second chance we need a second birth. How many know we don't need more than just a second chance? We need a second birth in Christ Jesus to be born again in Him, to know Him as our Savior. But how many know that once you get born again, God gives you a second chance? And so we have to understand the kingdom of God. John 3 said it like this, No man can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In other words, what does that mean? It means that heaven is waiting. Heaven is waiting. Heaven is waiting not just to give us a second chance, but heaven is waiting that we may experience a second birth. Now, I want you to stay with me. And uh, uh, when that which is lost gets found, heaven rejoices. And that should be the posture of the church. That should be the posture of the expectation of who we are. And... uh, uh, talking about a lost and found story, there's a, a story about a great classical musician, and his name is uh, Yo-Yo Ma. I don't know if I said that right. I don't know if, you've, if you know who Yo-Yo Ma is, but he is a, he's a great cello player. And uh, he was playing Carnegie Hall in New York City uh, not too long ago, and uh, he was leaving uh, Carnegie Hall, going to his hotel, and he had with him his Vienna cello, and his cello was worth $2.5 million. So he gets in a cab with his cello, and he gets in the cab, and he goes to the hotel, and when he gets there, he pays the, he pays the fare, gives the guy a tip, goes inside, realizes that he left his cello in the cab. Lucky enough, he had his receipt, and he found the cab driver in a parking lot, 
uh, on one part of New York City and finally got his cello back. And, uh, and so um, I guarantee you when Yo-Yo got his cello back, he had a party. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's something that if you lost something worth $2.5 million, you got that back, you'd be happy about that. But here's something interesting. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture, but I want to tell you something that was lost, something worse than that. And, uh, uh, and I'm not sure through Scripture whether or not it was ever found. We're not sure that it was ever found. In fact, it happened to a church. And when it happened to this church, it not only lost, um, lost what, uh, what I'm about to tell you and show you, um, but it, it lost this valuable attribute in its life. But when it lost this, it lost its ability to be effective as a church. And so it happened to a church in the first century. It was a letter that was written to the uh, a church that had lost something, and the Bible points out that it was this, that, that once it was gone, uh, we're not sure that that church ever found it again. And, uh, uh, and so uh, I want you to turn, if you would, to me to the book of Revelation chapter 2, and the book of Revelation chapter 2, I want to read a passage of scripture there, Revelation chapter 2. In the book of Revelation, the writer of the book of Revelation, of course, is the Apostle John. And this is written uh, uh, here in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, John is writing to the seven churches, and he writes this to the church that is at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was a great church. It started out with great power. And I want you to see something about this church. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, It says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those, uh, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. In other words, uh, what John is doing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to this church is that you've had great discernment. You have not tolerated false teachers. You've not tolerated those that have walked in disobedience. And then it goes on to say in verse 3, and you have persevered and have had patience and labored for my name's sake and have not grown weary. In other words, there's been a perseverance that has been there. It was a working church. It was a church that was faithful. It was a church that did uh, what it wanted to do. But listen to verse 4. Verse 4 said, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have lost your first love. And you have lost your first love. And so, it, here, here it is. What, what, the, what the Lord is saying here, and what we can take from this is this. You can have great programs. You can have Bible studies. You can have small groups. You can have great worship. You can have great preaching. You can have, you can have great discernment. You can have perseverance as a church. You can do good things. You can be good in the community. 
But if you lose your love for God and your love for people, all you will lose your anointing and your ability to be effective in everything that you do. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to go to a church that just has programs. I don't want to go to the church that just has this or that or just known for this to do this or do this or just to do good things. But I, how many would like to be a part of a church that has the ability to love people into the kingdom of God? Never lose our affection for the things of God. Never lose our affections for the things that God loves and that God cares about. Never allow our love to be failing for him. Never lose our affection for God. Many of you remember when you first got saved, the passion that was in your life for God. How you would eat up the word of God and read the word of God. How you would, you would sit under teaching and your love for him and your prayer life was where it should be. And what has happened is, is that this is a church that had all the makings of a great church but it lost its first love. And I thought to myself when I began to think about this church, this wasn't just any church. Matter of fact, this was the mother church. All the other seven churches were born out of the church of Ephesus. Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19, we see where Paul had started this church. This was a powerful church. Matter of fact, just to let you know how powerful it was, um, its two pastors, its history of its two pastors was John the Apostle and was Timothy. How many know that's two pretty good pastors right there uh, to, to have in the church? They were two leaders in the church. Matter of fact, when this church was started, the Apostle Paul himself spent three years there. More than any other church, Paul spent more time there than anywhere else. Now, how many would say that church was blessed? I mean, Paul taught there. Timothy taught there. John taught there. I mean, it was a great church. Matter of fact, this is the church that there had two letters that was written to it. Matter of first, second, and third John was written to this church at Ephesus, as well as the letter of the book of Romans that we see was written to this church. And so the question is, how in the world do you have such great preaching how do you have Timothy and Paul and you have John and you have two New Testament less letters that are written to you and you become a great church? How do you lose your first love? How do you lose your first love? Now, I believe John tells us. I believe in the scripture. There's a place in scripture where John tells us what happened to this church. How did it lose its first love? How did, it, how did it have so many giftings, so many talents, so many opportunities, such privilege as it had, and yet it loses? How many know you could have Jesus himself come here and preach? But how many know that you could still lose your first love and your affection for God? And it tells us none. But I want us to see that. Love got lost. You know, here, I want to, here's how it happened. I'm going to give you the phrase. Love got lost in this church when they had the chance to change somebody's life and they didn't do it. Love got lost when they had the opportunity to change the life of others and they didn't do it. There, and I read you that portion of scripture as we opened the service tonight. And beginning in verse 17 of 1 John chapter 3, 
This book written to the Ephesians itself, in verse 17, it says this, But whoever has the world's goods and see his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Y'all hearing what I'm saying? In other words, what John said is this. When you have the opportunity to meet somebody's needs and to love people where they are, you lose your love when, when you have the opportunity to change somebody's life and you don't do it. That is the warning lights. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 18, it says, And little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. In other words, just don't say you love. Just don't say you want to touch a city. Don't just say you want to meet a need. It says don't just talk about it with your tongue, but you have to do it in your action and in your deed. I'm telling you, if we want to maintain an anointing as a church and maintain our love for God as a church, we have to ask God, what is the opportunity that you give us to meet the needs in people's lives? If that means throwing a birthday party for a prostitute at 3 a.m. at a diner, then that's what it means. If it means putting shoes on kids' feet, if it means going into the prisons, if it means touching high school kids and having fellowship athletes, whatever it means, if we have that opportunity and we don't do it, we risk the danger of losing our first love. And it can be individually too. When we have the opportunity to serve and, and to serve and we don't do it, we run the danger of losing our first love. And when love gets lost, then all we depend on is what we know. And so a lot of times when there's need, a lot of times when we hear need, it's amazing how the human nature is. I don't know about you. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes when we hear human need, we, we sometimes talk ourselves out of being a part of it. We usually sometimes talk ourselves out of, of being a part of that need. You know the movie that's kind of uh, challenging us today um, that we see is uh, uh, how many of y'all know your childhood? You always remember... Uh, things from your childhood, especially those things like cartoons and things that were on TV. And uh, uh, how many of y'all, uh, as kids, remember certain cartoons you watched and certain things that you watched? And, uh, of course, uh, you know, when my kids were little, Barney was big. You know, they all watched, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. Y'all know that song? Y'all got kids? Am I the only ones got kids? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. You got it. And uh, uh, Barney and, uh, of course, here lately, you know, Dora the Explorer and Bob the Builder. You know, y'all know Bob the Builder, right? And uh, Bob the Builder, we can fix it. Yes, we can. Y'all know, <laughs> know the story. Dora, I'm not even going to go there uh, with her. Uh, but but <laughs> when, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, Mr. Rogers was the man. Y'all know Mr. Rogers was the man. And uh, Mr. Rogers, and, and as I got older, I thought, man, how corny of a show that was. And uh, who, he, he comes in and he changes his shoes. Like, who don't wear the right shoes to work? 
And he wears that one sweater all the time. And I always thought as I watched Mr. Rogers, I wondered, do they wash that sweater? Does that sweater ever get washed? And then you all know Mr. Rogers had that train. I haven't seen the movie. I don't know if any of you all saw the movie. I don't know if it's any good or not. But how many of you all saw that train? He had that crazy looking uh, uh, puppet that was on there that almost looked demonic uh, that was on that train. But Mr. Rogers was the man. I mean, I, I was fascinated with Mr. Rogers. And I know many of you were too. And, uh, and, and, but here, here's what's interesting. You all know Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. He was a, he was a, a ordained Presbyterian minister. And uh, uh, he said, he, one of the things he said in, uh, in an interview, and they put this in his biography, is they said this, one of the inspiring moments that changed his life is that when he was a boy, he would see scary things in the news. And he said the way that he would be calmed is that his mother would say to him, look for, he'd say, he'd say, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping when things get really bad. He said, that helped me. He said, when I saw things that were scary in the news to me, my mom said, always look for the helpers. If you look to the helpers, they're always there when things are bad. And I thought to myself, that's what God has anointed the church to do. To be the helpers in people's lives and love people and be the helpers in people's lives when things get bad. And I'm telling you that God can anoint the church to do those things that we can be the helpers that change uh, people's lives. That can change the course of people's lives. And to be a church that loves means we have the ability and the opportunity that when there is a need, that we don't miss that opportunity and miss that need, that we don't turn our heads when there's a need in our city or in our community or in our church. Because if we will lose our first love, if we lose the ability to love people exactly where they are. You know, um, I read, uh, I get these things on, um, on my phone that come up one time uh, every once in a while, and I'm a part of this thing where they text you when there's like these weird things that happen, or like they'll send you these weird stories about things that are like, um, you know, it's not normal. It's like almost kind of like uh, they're, they're just out there, just not normal things you'd see. And the other day, uh, I was reading the story of a uh, this thing popped up, and it was a story of a ship called the Octavian. It was an 18th century ship uh, that sailed from Great Britain into the Orient. And it had a, had a crew on it. But here's the interesting thing. In this 18th century ship, um, it was sailing from, um, from, uh, gr- from Great Britain to the Orient and then was sailing back. And as it was sailing back, uh, something happened on this ship. And this ship was found on November 11th, 1775. And it was found by another ship uh, that was called the Whaler. And when it found it, the ship, they got board the ship. And when they got on the ship, all the crew that was on the ship was frozen. And they were like frozen in time. There were 28 crew members. And when they went into the cabin of the captain, he was still sitting at the captain's table 
with a pen frozen in his hand. And on the floor was a, a lady and a boy that was in a blanket. And, and it was like they were frozen in time, perfectly preserved. The last entry into the logbook of that ship was, uh, was October of 1762. That ship had been missing for 13 years and had been afloat on the sea for 13 years. It had been missing uh, all of those years and they were all those people had been frozen in ice, frozen in time, all of that time when they finally were found. And I thought to myself, I thought, man, here they, they're floating for 13 years and everyone on that ship has been frozen. I thought to myself, God, I don't want to be a church that is floating on the sea of life and full of frozen people that have not moved or done anything for 13 years. That our hearts would be frozen. And I'll close with this tonight. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. I want to ask you, I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that does not lose its anointing. I don't want to lose our first love. The quickest way you lose your anointing is to be a church that loses its first love and its ability to love others. I hope we can be a church that's willing to throw parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning. A church that's willing to marry couples on Sunday morning service. A church that's willing to feed people on Thanksgiving and to feed the hungry and touch nations. Send people from this church into the mission field. Willing to baptize in creeks and willing to go to whatever lengths it takes in order to reach and touch people. Willing to engage in the battle and not just be a church that for 13 years, like the Octavia, where we just frozen in a time, frozen in a season, frozen in where we are. But there's an anointing that comes on a church. I want to belong a church to a church like Dale Schroeder. Y'all know who Dale Schroeder is? I'm glad you asked. Actually, this week, the New York Times, or New York Daily News came out with a story of a guy by the name of Dale Schroeder. He passed away at 87 years old. And for 67 years, he was a carpenter. He owned two pair of jeans, and he had a pickup truck. He had a modest house. And uh, towards the end of his life, when he began to get sick and knew his life was toward the end, he had uh, gone to some close people that he knew. They were church folks. And uh, he'd gone to them, and he had no wife. He had no children, had no descendants. He said, I don't have much. He says, what I have, I want to give away. And uh, in their minds, they thought, well... I don't know how far two pair of jeans, a pickup truck, and some carpenter tools would go. And, uh, but when he died, he had given, um, he had given away, uh, let's see, three, $3 million. And what he did, the money was given to 33 kids who was able to go to college for free and not in debt. He had saved over $3 million over those years that he worked as a carpenter. And now 33 kids got $90,000 each to go to college. 
Isn't it amazing that a lot of times within us is the power to change people's lives? And a lot of times it's just loving other people. Stand with me tonight. You know, I just wanted to just put that in your spirit tonight. When I was in high school, uh, I had a couple of high school friends. I didn't know very many Christians. Uh, I knew one friend in high school that was a born-again Christian that lived it in high school. And uh, there was another girl in our high school that went to church. She actually married my brother and uh, married him at a very young age. They got married at a very young age, but she went to a church. And it was a small church of God that was in Covington. It was down on Banklick Street in Covington, Kentucky. And the pastor there, his name was Don Combs. And uh, it was graduation time. And, like, I would go to that church, like if my brother would drag me to go with him. And I never really attended there. I, I never, I, I didn't really, I didn't even go to church other than when I was a kid with my grandmother. She would bring me to church and I'd go occasionally with him because it was a very Pentecostal church, and uh, he was afraid, <laughs> and so he dragged me, and uh, I don't know what he's afraid about. I mean, go to think that now I pastor a spirit-filled church, but uh, the irony of that. And, uh, and so I would go, but when it came time to our graduation, I got a phone call from Don Combs, who was the pastor, and he said, Hey, Shane, he said, we are having a graduation service for all the high school kids we know, and we want you to come. We want to invite you to come and be here. And, uh, and I, I didn't know why they invited me. I guess just because I was, you know, now I was related to, uh, you know, Monica who went there. And he said, we just want you to come. And, and uh, so I went. I went to the graduation party. And... They gave me a Bible. It was a little red Bible, a little bit smaller than this. It wasn't very big, but it had my name on it. And it said, Shane Bruner. And I got that little red Bible from Pastor Don Combs, First Church of God on Banklick Street in Covington, Kentucky. And, and, and I didn't even look at that Bible. I don't even know. I may have opened it to, like, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't understand the appreciation of what it was in my life. And so that was in 1986. And uh, that was a year before I gave my life to the Lord. And on March 1st, 1987, I got saved. And when I got saved, I had in a box that Bible that was given to me. And I began to open and read that Bible. And I was so grateful for that. After I became a Christian, I realized the value of what he had done and what folks have done. How many are thankful for people that God has put in your life? They've been a blessing to you. And maybe later on you realize how important they are to you. But it's not until you really realize how good God has been. But you know what he did? He loved on me. He loved on me. And you know what? Some of the simplest things can make the biggest changes in the hearts of people. Is that not right? 
That's a simple story. That really don't mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me. And so all of heaven is ready to rejoice every Sunday, every Thursday night, when we give the opportunity of people to come to Christ. Let me tell you, Sunday mornings is not about what we do physically, but it has everything to do about the gospel and loving people where they are. I think it's time we start winning some people to Christ. I think it's start time we be the church that's willing to do whatever it takes that we don't lose our first love. When this church started and I was coming over here preaching, Thursday nights were packed, Sunday mornings were packed. You know, it was just a few people, wasn't a lot of people. But man, there was some fire that was around here. And I'm not too sure we've lost, not lost some of that. But I'm praying that God in 2020 will put a fire in us, an anointing in us, that we don't ever lose our first love. So I want to pray for you tonight. I want you to take your hand and put it on your heart. And by doing that, what you're saying to God is, is that God, I don't ever want to lose my first love. The way you lose your first love is to see a brother in need and not meet that need. Because the Bible says that if you don't meet the need of that brother, or at least do what you can to meet the need of that brother. The Bible says the love of God does not abide in you. And just by a sign of faith and placing your hand on your heart, Father, we just pray tonight that God, you will return us all to our first love. Return us to the passion that we had for God when we first found you. God, Show us how much you love this community and this city. There are people that are going to bed tonight that do not have answers for the situation that's in their life. Many of them have contemplated suicide. Many are struggling with drugs and addiction. Many of them are going to bed hungry. Many children don't have proper clothing or the right things to wear. And they don't even feel that they're even loved. Their homes are a mess. Lives are a mess. Our world is in, a, is in a turmoil. Our nation's in a turmoil. What good would it be for us to be a church that has everything we need, but we lose our first love? So, Father, I just pray that you'll just ignite that fire in us again. Bring us that first love. Bring us that love that rekindles again how much we care for you and love you. We thank you for the word of God. We don't want to be a church that sleeps. We don't want to be a church that loses its first love. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.